The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Futures right now under pressure as the busiest week of earnings season rolls on. We've got names like Alphabet, Microsoft, and McDonald's all set to report today how to play those names before they come out with their numbers. Speaking of earnings, shares of First Republic Bank are sinking in a big way ahead of the opening bell after seeing its deposits sink in the first three months of the year. Hear what Miller Tabak's Matt Manley thinks of the stock and the entire regional banking sector. We've got that in just a few moments. Closing in on Elon Musk, the European luxury giant looking to displace Tesla as the ninth most valuable publicly traded company in the world. It's all about handbags and perfume. Plus, on the backs of the recent crypto crisis, Coinbase now forcing regulators to account for months of silence over new rules that could hammer the entire industry. And then later on, anti-ESG rhetoric heats up with yet another state barring its consideration when making public investment decisions. It is Tuesday, April 25th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Frank Holland this morning. Let's kick things off with a check on U.S. equity futures. After a mixed session yesterday, right now we are seeing red across the board. The Dow is implied lower by just around 155 points. That's off-session lows. The S&P 500 down about 21 points implied, and the Nasdaq down by just around 60. So a decent move to the downside implied at the opening bell. Checking on the bond market right now, yields are, at least in some ways, moving to the downside here as we see somewhat of a bid for the safety of U.S. government debt. The benchmark U.S. Treasury note yield a hair below 3.45%. The two-year note yield 4.07%, and the 30-year long bond, 3.68%. In energy, oil prices as well showing some signs of that kind of at least move that we're seeing overall in the markets on the macro side of things, although we're seeing a bit of a bid today. Just around flat on the session right now for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude. Again, flat on the session, 78.75. Ice Brent crude futures, that world benchmark gauge, just about flat as well. Nat gas down 2.5%. Also in crypto, a seen a little bit of a bid for Bitcoin, at least for right now, hovering around 27,000, 27,423, the last trade up to about two tenths of 1%. Ethereum prices off about half of 1%, nearly $1,824 and change. We're also watching shares of First Republic sinking in a big way after reporting first quarter results after the closing bell yesterday. It's down 22% right now in trading. A key headline. A massive deposit exodus in the first three months of the year. We've got much more on that story in just a moment. Let's get a check, though, on this morning's top corporate stories outside of First Republic. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Silvana. 
Dom, good morning to you. Well, former J.P. Morgan Chase executive Jess Staley is calling on a U.S. judge to throw out the bank's lawsuit against him. Staley is accusing J.P. Morgan of using him as a scapegoat for its own failures in working with the convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, who was a client of the bank from 1998 to 2013. And J.P. Morgan says Staley should be held liable for any damages due to his close relationship with Epstein and alleged frequent visits to his properties. Coinbase filing a lawsuit to compel the SEC to create new rules for digital assets like Bitcoin and Ether. Now this after the company asked the regulator last year to provide more clarity on how it intends to oversee the crypto market, a request that has since gone unanswered. And Coinbase was the subject of a Wells notice from the SEC last month. It's a formal warning that an enforcement action against the platform could be expected. And ahead of its earnings report, General Motors announcing a new joint venture with Samsung SDI a short time ago to build a new battery plant in the U.S. Now, this follows reports that GM chose not to pursue a fourth U.S. battery plant with current partner LG Energy Solutions. The two are currently building a $2.6 billion factory in Michigan, which is set to open in 2024, Dom. All right, Silvana Hinal, thank you very much for those headlines there. We appreciate it. Let's now move overseas and get a check on shares of UBS uh, with its first earnings report since agreeing to buy rival and embattled Swiss lender Credit Suisse. Our own Jeff Cutmore joins us now live from outside UBS HQ in Zurich, Switzerland. Good morning to you, Jeff. Hey, good morning to you, Dom. Well, the shares opened down very sharply, nearly 5% this morning. They've bounced off the lows here. The numbers, well, stable, I guess. Obvious weakness in investment banking where revenue's off 19% here. But there was net new money coming in from all regions where the bank operates. And in particular, I think that they are pleased to see money coming coming from Asia now that we've seen the Chinese uh, reopening and the move away from the COVID lockdowns. But of course, this is a, uh, a bank with two stories to tell this morning. One is about the earnings and about the bank's own ability to generate revenue. And the second one is about the integration of Credit Suisse, of course, the failed bank that is slowly being brought into the UBS business and will build a $5 trillion powerhouse in global wealth management. Let's hear how the CEO, Sergio Amotti, described to me the integration risks going forward. I think that the risks are associated with the complexity. But I, per se, I don't think this transaction is a risky transaction. I, it will take time to define the right target operating model to execute it. But uh, this is, a, this is a, a transaction that will create much more benefits to shareholders, clients, and also employees in the long run. So I'm confident that we will be able to manage those uh, risks. Now, the bank has promised to tell us everything about the integration program, all the details, the plan at the end of the second quarter. So we look forward to that. One other reason maybe we're seeing some weakness today, they have suspended the UBS share buyback program. That was for $1.3 billion. They say suspended 
but not cancelled. But that's not doing enough to give the shares a bump at the moment. Back to you. There is a sense with the suspension that, that, that it could be temporary, of course, and, and maybe there's a factor there. Jeff, I wonder if, if Sergio Armadi or, or the bank writ large has, has addressed a little bit more substantially the idea that there will be cost cuts in the form of job losses down the line. We know that a, a big union representing Swiss banking employees weighed in with the government on that front. Uh, is there any more clarity with regard to whether or not we will see job cuts and, and what a timeline could look like in the coming months and years? I think that's inevitable. I mean, Credit Suisse itself was in the process of restructuring and laying off significant numbers of workers. And UBS has already talked in terms of cost savings from the integration. So I think there's no doubt about it, Dom. There will be further job losses to go as we see the integration program embarked on. The real issue, I think, at this stage is how political this story has become and whether the government is likely to get involved because all of this is really just concentrating banking risk in Switzerland. In UBS, it now has something like 50% of citizens' deposits here in Switzerland. And as you know, when Credit Suisse ultimately uh, couldn't survive further without this deal taking place. The regulator, Finmar, was involved here. The, uh, the government was heavily involved here in persuading UBS that it wanted to do, to do a deal that for years it denied it had any interest in. And this is going to be an incredibly complex deal to push through given the various business units that need to be merged. But I think the one thing we can take away from this is that there will be job losses, there will be cost cutting and there will be further acrimony between the unions sure. and the government and UBS management. Back to you. All right, Jeff, we're just seeing a board right now of all the downside moves for many of the bigger banks in Europe right now. We appreciate it. Let's stick now with the bank theme here in America. Shares of First Republic are diving on the back of its first quarterly results. The key concerning figures for investors, the lender reporting a $72 billion drop or 40 percent drop in its deposits during the period to just over $100 billion, but stressing that they have stabilized since the end of the month. That was much larger than rivals, despite the $30 billion deposit, you may recall, by some of the biggest banks in America last month to help shore up its balance sheet. The bank adding it will cut up to 25% of its workforce in a bid to cut costs, adding it is pursuing, quote, strategic options to speed up strengthening its capital position. So let's dive into this and the broader markets with Matt Maley, chief market strategist at Miller Tabak. Uh, Matt, I, as many of our viewers know, I, I've been tasked with our regional bank coverage for this particular quarter because it has been so important to the overall market and economic narrative. Have you gleaned anything from what we could consider the most important regional bank report so far this season? Well, we can, Dom. I mean, you know, one of the things that we have is that on, on the systemic side, we feel actually you know, pretty good about things. I mean, we see there's news out that the, the Fed has reduced the frequency of its dollar funding so that, uh, you know, there's less need for this added liquidity uh, to save the system. <laughs> uh, uh, but we don't have uh, we. But the problem is on the economic side. I mean, these these big uh, change in uh, deposits. I mean, a lot of people think, well, it's okay, it's all going to you know Bank America or J.P. Morgan or the big banks. 
Well, a lot of it is not. A lot of it's going to money market funds and to T-bill rates where people are getting a much better return. And, you know, with these banks have, have less less money, uh, I mean, I guess my point is we don't have to wait for the, you know, for the senior loan officer survey to know that banks are, are pulling in their horns when it comes to lending. When you have a credit, uh, you know, uh, less the uh, credit in the system, uh, you know, you, you're, you're going to have a, sl- a further slowdown. I guess my point is that, I mean, sometimes we just have to use some common sense here when we start thinking about the odds that we're going to have a recession or not. Uh, and at this point, uh, you know, when, when credit contracts, you're pretty much going to get going to get a recession. And, and at some point, the stock market is going to catch up to that uh, realization. Matt, Matt, we're showing our viewers right now a whole slew of different charts, regional bank ETFs, some of the, the price action right now pre-market for some of the big regional lenders that are not necessarily in the same class as a, a First Republic or a Western Alliance. What did this First Republic earnings report do in terms of your ability to say whether the regional bank trade is safe to get into right now? Uh, is it not? It, it, it you know, it, it, it seems to me it's not. Uh, that doesn't mean, you know, the, the worst is behind us, whatever. But, you know, the, you look at those charts, as, as you mentioned, Don, when we get the big kind of, you know, kind of crash, and we basically had a, a crash in that, in that group for, for about, a, you know, just about a week in March. And when you get that, when a, when a, when a, when a group comes down like that and the trade sideways for a while, uh, that's good if, if, the, if the decline was a very gradual one. When it's kind of a crash, you usually get a nice sharp bounce back uh, for at least a little bit. Uh, we didn't even get that at all. It was a very feeble bounce. And now we're testing the bottom on the, on the KRE. We're, you know, we're testing the bottom on Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, I guess my point is I think we're going to have to see more of a washout before we really see those great opportunities that you know, some people like Bill Gross are looking for. Uh, you know, maybe you get them in individual names right now, but for the group overall, I think you're going to have to see more. More, more of a washout before they become a great buy. All right, Matt Maley with the Regional Bank Trade. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. We've got a, st- a lot still ahead on this hour of Worldwide Exchange, including the word every investor needs to know today. Also, the anti-ESG movement gaining some steam and momentum as yet another state bars its consideration when making public investment decisions. Plus, Johnson & Johnson set to test the IPO waters with a key consumer business spinoff And then later on, as if there weren't enough news, bracing for big tech. And if Alphabet can outlast the recent online ad spending slowdown. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a foxaloner, moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We've got a string of key housing data out this morning, including the February Case-Shiller Home Price Index and March New Home Sales. 
This will be the final look into the state of the U.S. housing market before the Federal Reserve's next monetary policy decision, which is, by the way, creeping up, due out next week. Interest rate traders are pricing in a more than 80 percent chance of a 25 basis point or one quarter of a percent hike by Jay Powell and company. So joining me now is Jeff Taylor, founder and managing director at Emphasis Digital Risk. I I, I guess the, the big deal here is whether or not the American housing market has shifted enough fundamentally for the Fed to take it into consideration at its next next policy meeting do you think that's the case? Thank you for having me here today. I think at the Fed uh, a meeting coming up here on May 3rd, I, I think what everybody is saying, and I do agree with this, I think we're going to see a 25 basis point uh, hike um, for now, and then, then we're going to be relying upon the data kind of going forward. What's really, I think, interesting to hear about the, the housing market right now is more about where the affordability issue is. You know, 87% of houses that are sold are existing, are existing homes, 13%. Are, are new homes right now. So in order for somebody to be able to buy a, 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 a existing home right now and put 5% down, they would have to be at $400,000 and making about $87,000 annually right now to afford that house. So the affordability is a little bit stretched, but it's still sort of very, uh, still very doable. If that's the case, we've seen a good amount of bullishness, Jeff, over the last call it two to three weeks, especially with the home builders in this country, right? We're talking the D.R. Hortons, the Pulteys and that sort of thing. A lot of that had to do with this idea that there was a better sentiment in the overall market. And we are starting to see a pickup in things like building permits and housing starts. Yes, I know they're volatile. But is there really an upward trajectory now for, for home affordability to come down and for these home builders to keep on going higher? So it's a really, really good question, right? So like you said, four months of home builder sentiment has actually has risen, which is good. But when you look into the details now also, home builders in April, 59% gave concessions to buy houses. 30% had price decreases. The average home, new home went from a height of October 22, 490,000 to about 438,000 right now. So they are confident but they're also getting deal done, deals done. So if you're looking to get a new home in the market right now, you can negotiate, talk to your local realtor, talk to your to your team. There are deals to be get done right now because while they do have, they're, they're very confident in their long-term view, they are very much acting as let's get deals done here in the short term. And Jeff, before we let you go, we've talked a lot about the tipping points for, for home buyers and potential home buyers right now with regard to rates. Is there a new paradigm for people in their minds about the interest rate they want on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage before they feel like it's okay to go and buy a house in your mind? You know, again, that's another question. So what we've been saying so far this year, when rates dip down to around 6%, we see a rise of applications for, for buyers. And then when we see rates dip down for a seller somewhere between 56 and 59 so that 6.0 rate right now, which we saw about 30 days ago, seems to be that sweet spot for when people are getting back into uh, the housing market uh, for buy. And then if I go, if I look over the entire year right now, we are expecting about 5.1 million houses to be sold in total. That's about 600,000 new homes, 4.5 million homes of existing homes. And then of that existing, we see about 3.5 million are going to have mortgages on them. So 
All in all, the units are tighter than what they were a year again, but we look like a very solid uh, housing market. And, and right now, again, I think about that 6% interest rate is where you see sort of sellers get, uh, buyers get motivated to jump into the market. All right. Jeff Taylor calls the over under at 6% for the 30-year fix. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon, Jeff. Thank you for having me. All right. Ahead on Worldwide Exchange, TikTok gets a new challenger. A famous white suit fetches some big bucks at auction and a major philanthropic move courtesy of Nike founder Phil Knight. We've got your top trending stories when we return after this break. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Welcome back to the show. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. We'll start with shares of Whirlpool, which are rising after beating first quarter earnings and revenues for the first quarter as demand for discretionary items like kitchen appliances starts to stabilize. The company's CFO is saying he's not seeing a decline in sentiment as consumers adjust their spending habits against higher mortgage rates and a shakier housing market. Those shares, 3.5% to the upside. Uh, tenable shares moving in the opposite direction. This after the cybersecurity company topped Wall Street estimates for the quarter, but disappointed on its revenue and billings outlook. Those shares down 14%. And then watching shares of Fox after closing down nearly 3% yesterday on news, it is parting ways with primetime host Tucker Carlson. This coming just days after networks, the network agreed to pay a $787 million settlement for a defamation suit with Dominion Voting Systems. Now, news of Carlson's departure wiped out more than $500 million in the stock's value as investors assess how the cancellation of one of Fox's top-rated programs will impact the network going forward. Shares right now just up fractionally, about one-tenth of one percent in trading. Well, let's get a check now on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. A ceasefire is currently holding in Sudan. It went into effect at midnight local time. The three-day ceasefire was announced late last night by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. He added that the U.S. would help create a committee to oversee negotiations towards a, quote, permanent cessation of hostilities in the country. Now to Georgia, where the district attorney of Fulton County will announce whether or not she plans to charge former President Trump and others as soon as this summer. It's part of Fannie Willis's investigation into possible criminal interference into how the 2020 election played out in her state, which was won by President Biden. In a letter to local law enforcement, Willis said the decision will come as soon as July 11th. Finally, after 18 years under center with the Packers, one of the NFL's best players is on the move. The New York Jets traded for four-time MVP Aaron Rodgers. He led the Packers to a Super Bowl victory after the 2010 season, which coincidentally was the last year that the Jets made the playoffs. The deal sees New York and Green Bay swap first-round picks in this year's NFL draft. So, um, Aaron Rodgers is once again following in his predecessor, Brett Favre's footsteps, coming to New York after a very storied career in Green Bay. And, of course, Green Bay starts the Jordan Love era over there. That's right. Thank you very much, Philip Mena. We'll see you soon.
You got it. Straight ahead on the show, your morning call sheet and a check on some of this morning's biggest calls by firms you know and names you likely own, including Goldman getting bullish on one big player in e-commerce. We'll be back after this break. Just moments away from 5.30 a.m. in New York, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. So here's what's on deck. Big tech earnings starting to roll out today with Microsoft and Alphabet kicking things off after the closing bell. The key metrics you need to watch for when those results cross. Also, shares of First Republic getting slammed on the back of its quarterly results, revealing a dramatic drop in deposits and warning it's looking at options to shore up its finances. And another state putting a stop to ESG investing practices, ramping up the culture war when it comes to managing public money. It's Tuesday, April 25th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chewin for Frank Holland this morning. Let's pick up this half hour with a check on U.S. equity futures, which are all lower at this point, but lower to a degree that's not dramatic just yet. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 150 points, the S&P down by 20 points, and the Nasdaq down by about 53. Back down to one of our top stories this morning. We're talking shares of First Republic, and they are sinking right now ahead of the opening bell. They're currently down 21% to $12.62. They came out with their latest quarterly report after the closing bell yesterday. The bank says it will cut up to a quarter of its workforce in the next three months and is pursuing, quote, strategic options to boost its capital position. This all as the company reported a $72 billion or 40 percent drop in deposits between January and March to just over $100 billion total at the end of last quarter. That figure coming in much higher than industry peers, and it takes into account the $30 billion injection by some of the nation's biggest banks into the coffers for First Republic's deposits that happened back in March. Now, if you take a look at First Republic versus the entire regional bank sector, so we've put up the First Republic chart here alongside the orange line, which is the Spider Regional Bank ETF. It's already been a dramatic move for the industry overall, down 28%. But as you can see, First Republic has been arguably the epicenter of the fallout tied to Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. Now, the other two stocks that have been a part of that huge fallout on the West Coast Regional Bank side of things, aside from First Republic, have been Western Alliance and PacWest Bancorp as well. The reason why I'm showing you this chart year to date is because now we've notched off First Republic's results, more negative, at least for the time being. Western Alliance was generally viewed as more positive after its quarterly results, and then we get PacWest after today's closing bell. So that's going to be the key regional bank report to watch later on this afternoon, PacWest. Let's get a check now on the Asia and early trade in Europe. Our Jumana Bersetchi is standing by in the London newsroom with the latest. Hi, Jumana. Good morning, Dom. Well, risk-off sentiment is also prevailing over here in Europe. Not much green on the board. You can see behind me all of the major bourses are trading in the red. The FTSE 100 down about three-tenths of a percentage point. Some of the commodity sectors leading the declines. DAX also trading in the red. But uh, IBEX and Focus, one name pulling down there is Santander, down about four percentage points. The only spot of green we have is the Swiss index, up about two-tenths of a percentage point on back of Novartis earnings. But you were just talking about the U.S. regional banks. European banks 
also very much in focus today. I did mention the likes of Santander down four percentage point, but UBS also came out with their earnings today. Uh, the result is pretty negative, down two and a half percentage points. The company posted a 52% drop in first quarter net profit after legacy legal issue related to U.S. MBS securities. Now, UBS also reported inflows of $42 billion for the quarter, $7 billion of which came in in the wake of the collapse and subsequent takeover of rival Credit Suisse. So more money deposits came into UBS after that deal was announced. The stock reacting quite negatively. But on the flip side, we are getting a positive uh, number out of Novartis today. The pharmaceutical reported a 3% rise in first quarter group sales, beating analyst expectations. The Swiss drug maker upgraded its full-year guidance and confirmed the spin-off of its generic drug division, Sandos, that it is on track for the rest of the year. So positive reaction, and that is boosting the Swiss index today, Tom. All right, Giovanna Bersetti, live in London. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Let's get to some of your morning's top stories, including more ESG investment backlash. Silvana is here with those headlines. Good morning, Silvana. Dom, good morning to you. Well, Kansas is becoming the latest state to go after ESG factors when it comes to investing in public investing public funds. Now, Democratic Governor Laura Kelly deciding to allow the Republican measure to become law without her signature after vetoing more than a dozen other culture-focused bills approved by the Republican-controlled legislator. Kansas' new anti-ESG law, which takes effect July 1st, is the latest with nine other states creating similar laws laws. Johnson & Johnson putting an expected price on shares of its consumer spinoff Kenview. The company saying shares will go from between $20 and $23 a share in an initial public offering later this year. Now, Kenview could be valued around $40 billion if shares price within that range. And Amazon is disputing unionization efforts by some of its delivery drivers. The drivers at one of the company's California facilities joined the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the union announced yesterday. Now, but Amazon says that it terminated its contract with the company that directly employs the drivers that struck that agreement with the Teamsters. The move marks the latest by labor unions, which have been pushing to organize Amazon delivery and warehouse workers, Dom. And we know that Staten Island so far is really the only one with a warehouse that has unionized. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right. Workers at Amazon, thank you very much. Yep. Silvana Hinao. Yep. All right. Turning now to two stocks high on investor watch list today during a very busy day of earnings. That's Microsoft and it's Alphabet, the parent company of Google, both out after the closing bell today and kicking off this week's wave. And I mean wave of big tech results. Arjun Karpal joins us now with the key metrics we should be watching for from both of these companies. And, and Arjun, this is going to be a key to the market narrative going forward. Yeah, certainly. Look, investor expectations are not rosy going into this week of big tech earnings. Microsoft and Alphabet up first. Cloud is likely to be challenged, and so is the ad business. I'll kick off with Alphabet. The market expecting earnings per share to drop 13% year on year, but the key uh, metric they're watching is the ad revenue, expected to be down 1.4% to around $53.5 billion. So that's key here. Of course, advertising a huge part of Alphabet's business. That's going to be focused for investors. Turning to Microsoft, it seems to be faring a bit better. Investors are expecting the earnings per share number to be flat, but again, they're going to be watching the revenue of 
cloud growth. They're expecting that to be 14% up year on year. That is a significant slowdown from the growth of plus 20, 30% we've seen in the preceding quarters. That is going to be concerning to investors if it's any slower than that. So that's the key metric there. Just looking forward, I think analysts are going to be watching very closely on the earnings call for any information about both companies' AI strategies, particularly Microsoft with ChatGPT and Google uh, Alphabet with Bard. Uh, How are they planning to monetize that? What kind of value add is that going to bring to their business going forward? And also, any signs from management about the improving macroeconomic situation for Alphabet in advertising and for Microsoft in cloud computing? Ultimately, expectations very low going into the report, and there is a risk if these companies miss on any of these key metrics, uh, this could be bad news for their stocks going forward, Dom. All right, Arjun Karpal with a preview there of Microsoft and Alphabet. Thank you. One of the main reasons we put so much focus on these names is, of course, they're waiting. An outsized influence on the S&P 500 and NASDAQ as a whole. Big tech has been responsible for much of the index's 8% gain for the S&P so far this year. Now, overall, mega cap technology, and we're going to put Alphabet in that category, Microsoft, Apple, and more, have a market dominance, dominance. 22% of the overall weighting. The other 496 companies make up the balance of the value. Those stocks are key. So joining me to discuss this is Scott Kessler, Third Bridge Global Sector Lead for Tech, Media, and Telecom, which encompasses those mega cap names. Stock, we heard Arjun's metrics to watch. What exactly is going to be key for you when it comes to Microsoft and Alphabet? Yeah, thanks a lot, Tom. So a couple of things come to mind, and I think Arjun hit on uh, some of these. Um, First is obviously the top line. I think people are not expecting much, but we're going to see where cloud is, for example, for both of these companies. For Microsoft, Azure, um, I think uh, growth was uh, above 30% um, in the last quarter they reported. They talked about, I think, something like four to 500 basis points lower in this quarter. But I think a lot of people are wondering, are they going to be able to deliver that? And where and when will the bottom be reached? So that's kind of one thing. And then the other thing is, of course, with respect to Microsoft, this notion of PC demand and growth um, indications are that PC demand has been uh, pretty terrible, frankly, over the past quarter. So those are two things to keep in mind for Microsoft. For Alphabet slash Google, again, it's cloud, the continuing deceleration of cloud growth. And then as he pointed out, kind of how much can we expect from that core kind of advertising and search business? People are not particularly optimistic. Now, okay, is there is there a macro story to tell with regard to that ad spend market right now that we we haven't yet seen develop? Is is it going to be an economy that can support at least a certain base level of ad spending, or is Alphabet going to be much more impacted? They're the ones with more exposure than, say, obviously a Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, look, Dom, at the end of the day, I think the economy is driving a lot of what's going on here. I think a couple of years ago, amid um, 
COVID and pandemic-driven demand, I think we saw a lot of robustness from these companies. But ultimately, these are companies and businesses that largely are driven um, by macroeconomic factors. And I do think that uh, Alphabet slash Google is going to indicate um, that the macro economy is not being helpful in terms of advertising spend. The other thing, which is the flip side of the coin that we're talking about here, um, is the cost and expense picture, where we've seen this com- these companies announce substantial layoffs, I think 10,000 to 12,000 individuals, 5 to 6% uh, of these companies' workforces. We wonder if there's more to come. And so folks are going to be focused no doubt on the top line, as we talked about. But in addition, we want to see if those restructuring efforts are kind of supporting margins in a way that can help propel these stocks higher. You know, you were talking about the importance of these stocks. These stocks are up 15 to 20 percent year to date versus, you know, the S&P 500 performing at an 8 percent clip. So they've more than doubled the performance of the broader index this year. So these are obviously very key. All right, Scott, before we let you go. Because you yeah. cover all these companies, is there a favorite name you have this earnings season for big tech, media, and telecom? So in terms of the fundamentals, I think it's important to look at um, a name like an Alphabet slash Google. And the reason I mention that is because a lot of the hype is obviously around AI. I think Microsoft has a lot of momentum. But just be mindful that Google I.O., their developer conference, is next month. And we expect a lot of announcements related to AI to come and potentially shift the pendulum a little bit in their direction. All right, Scott Kessler with the Outlook on Big Tech. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon, sir. All right, coming up on the show, we stick with earnings and turn to the consumer as McDonald's readies its results. We tee up those numbers coming up and the growing headwinds overall for the restaurant sector. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to the show. Time now for your morning call sheet, where we check on a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms and analysts you know and stocks you likely own. Well, Goldman Sachs is upgrading ZTO Express and that rating to a buy from a prior neutral. Goldman saying it expects market share gains by the logistics services company to resume this year, adding that its valuation looks attractive, though shares up about 1.5% pre-market. And then Stiefel is downgrading ASML's rating to buy, from buy to hold, saying it expects ASML's industry outperformance this year will pause next year. Stiefel says other semi-makers, including applied materials, are better positioned to benefit from relative strength in investments in mature technology chip companies. So ASML on the chip equipment side of things down about one and a quarter percent in the pre-market at trade. Uh, now, let's check out what's happening with McDonald's. Take a look at shares of those, that company lower this morning as the company gears up for its earnings report later on today. Ahead of the release, it stands less than a quarter percent off a fresh 52-week high as consumer spending at restaurants and bars continues to rebound. Those shares off about a quarter percent of the pre-market. But it's not just McDonald's. Shares of restaurant chains have been among the year's stronger performers after lagging behind in early 2022. Look at Potbelly or Wingstop, Chipotle, and then Brinker International as well, and then McDonald's, all among the names benefiting from stronger-than-expected consumer sentiment despite worries about things like inflation and a possible looming recession. So let's talk more about this with Sarah Senator, the Bank of America senior analyst who covers many of these restaurant stocks. 
Uh, Sarah, the outperformance is there, but I wonder why it could be that way if there is still so much concern about spending power for basic goods and needs due to the inflationary story. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, first of all. And to your point, uh, it is certainly the case that we have seen you know, consumer confidence drift lower. But historically, there hasn't been a ton of correlation between the two. And, and in fact, you know, we're seeing a combination of two factors. One is, you know, there's still some pent up demand, even now three years later, uh, post COVID. And we certainly see that with some of the full service restaurants. Uh, but really, uh, what we have also seen is a bifurcation. So some low income consumers are really looking at their, you know, at their wallets and pinching pennies a little bit more. That has been actually quite useful, in fact, to uh, fast food restaurants like McDonald's, uh, among others. So we do see some evidence of that trade down that's happening among the lower income consumers. Uh, but but higher income consumers continue to spend and they spend um, robustly. We may be seeing a little bit of, of uh, a hiccup there in March. Uh, it's a little bit early to tell. We'll get a little bit more information from the earnings season. Um, but the start of the year was certainly very strong. Uh, uh, Sarah, wh- why is McDonald's? the one that everyone wants to focus on here. And, and by the way, it, rightfully so, because it, on a relative strength basis, it seems to be consistently a decent performer versus the peer group overall. Is it the footprint size? of? Is it the, is it the scale? Is it its ability to drive margins, its pricing power? What's the biggest theme there for, for McDonald's? I, I think you hit the nail on the head with scale, right? So this is a, a system that, you know, uh, almost $50 billion in the U.S. alone that puts it, you know, something around four times bigger than its next biggest uh, hamburger competitor. Yeah, that's just a huge advantage, whether you're talking about marketing um, or uh, or other kinds of investments that you're making. You know, the system spent about $3 billion upgrading its U.S. restaurants. Uh, it's just very hard to compete with a system of that scale when they are reinvesting as they've done. So it's less about margin expansion, although certainly uh, we've seen some of that but really about just executing at a very high level and, and using that scale advantage uh, to, to press the advantage, on, like I said, on, on some really interesting marketing campaigns, whether it's famous orders um, or uh, now some of the technology ready on arrival, um, and even food quality when you, when you think about the better burgers that they're rolling out. So across the board, they've done a really nice job uh, of executing. And Sarah, before we let you go, we're focused on McDonald's because of the earnings report later on this morning. When it comes to quick service restaurants, in your mind, given the current market dynamic and valuation, is it McDonald's the best play for QSR or is it something something like QSR? Uh, we have a preference uh, between those two, certainly for McDonald's, um, all the scale advantages that I mentioned. And we have just seen this before. When the environment gets more difficult, it really when the best operations and the best execution shine. And that's something that McDonald's has right now in spades. All right. There's some momentum for Burger King, but Sarah says she likes McDonald's. Thank you very much, Sarah. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Ahead on the show, the one word every investor needs to know today. We've got Crossmark Global's Victoria Fernandez laying out the stocks that are high on her shopping list. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m. Eastern time hour. UBS bringing in $28 billion in new client cash in the first three months of this year amid the collapse of rival Credit Suisse. 
LVMH is closing in on Tesla for the ninth spot on the list of the world's most valuable publicly traded companies by market cap. This coming just one day after becoming the first European company to hit the $500 billion valuation mark. Coinbase filing a lawsuit to compel the SEC to create new rules for digital assets. This after the company asked the regulator last year to provide more clarity on how it intends to oversee the crypto market. Ahead of earnings, General Motors announcing a new joint venture with Samsung SDI this morning to build a new battery plant in the U.S. The player planned to invest more than $3 billion on the project. Netflix says it plans to invest $2.5 billion in South Korea over the next four years with plans to boost production of Korean TV series, movies and unscripted shows. And finally, researchers are scrambling to assess the health and environmental impact of the SpaceX Starship explosion last week, one that they say spread particulate matter for miles beyond the expected debris field. We have no comment yet from SpaceX on that. Let's get a quick check on U.S. equity futures right now. They are in the red and get set for the trading day ahead. Right now, the Dow is implied lower by just around 140, 150 or so points. The S&P down by 19 and the Nasdaq down by just around 51. For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Victoria Fernandez, Crossmark Global Investments Chief Market Strategist. First off, Victoria, it's a thing here on Worldwide Exchange, the word of the day. What exactly is your market investing economy word of the day? I think, Tom, I'd have to say my word of the day is opportunistic. There is so much going on this week. We obviously have a huge earnings week ahead of us that's giving us insight into so many different elements um, of the market. We've got consumer-related stocks, transportation stocks, manufacturing, restaurants. There's a whole gamut that you have this week that can give you some good insights as to what the economy is doing. So I don't think you're going to want to go in all one sector or make big sector bets at this point in time. I think you're going to want to be very opportunistic in your trading. Okay, so where is the opportunity then? If we're not going to be thematic about where exactly we're picking things out, you're implying that it has to be more stock specific. So what stocks then would appear more attractive or opportunistic to you, Victoria? Yeah, so we like names within different sectors. As we said, the breadth um, we haven't seen as much as we would like to see. So we are going to be a little bit choosy. But based on our um, opinion that we are going to see growth slow down, that we might have a recession later this year, we're kind of going down the scale when it comes to what consumers are spending. So a name like TJX, you want to have some exposure because there's going to be volatility in the market. You want some of that cyclical exposure, but we're doing it with a TJX. which is where we think consumers are heading, kind of similar to the McDonald's story that you were talking about a little bit earlier. So we think there's some opportunity there. We still like the energy space. So Marathon Petroleum is a name that we've added to recently, just trying to get some of that, um, not just refining component, but transportation as well. So we feel that that's a good name. And we like the healthcare, the biotech space. Lily, we think, is a good long-term holding in your portfolio. So we would go ahead and add a little bit of Lily or maybe even a Gilead to your portfolio. Okay, Victoria, I also want to call your attention to some headlines we're getting out of Bank of America in terms of their fund flow survey, something closely watched by investors. They're saying that they saw the first U.S. equity inflows in four weeks and that hedge funds were the sole net buyers along with corporates for stock buybacks. Also, that tech led inflows, which is also true year to date. And we saw the first inflows into financials in four weeks. 
technology, is that someplace that you want to be? Is there an opportunistic uh, uh, area in technology overall? I only, I only ask because there's a lot of tech earnings coming out this week. No, you're right. It's a busy week for tech. If we're going in the tech space, we're not going to go for some of these high-flying, these FANG names where we have had massive run-ups so far this year. We're going to look at some of the names, um, maybe like an IBM or like a Cisco. I think you can find some tech names that have more growth opportunity associated with them from where they currently sit versus a name like an NVIDIA or another name that has gone really high, um, Tesla, for example, some of these others. So I would look maybe at a different class, the um, what we call less sexy names sure. um, in the tech space, more profitable tech. All right. Victoria Fernandez, always great to get your thoughts. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. They've got a slew of earnings to cover. They'll be up here. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. I love my cat, Tiger. And as my best friend, we speak our own language. What's that? You love your litter. He does, because I use Fresh Step Outstretch Litter. It absorbs 50% more waste and odor and requires less changing compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Less changing means more time playing. (laughs) Right, Tiger? That's a yes. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Cat Litter in the pet aisle. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates.